Move Forward Radio is brought to you by ChoosePT.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Find a physical therapist near you at ChoosePT.com. Welcome to Move Forward Radio. I'm Jason Bellamy. October is National Physical Therapy Month. The subject of this episode is osteoporosis. One out of every two women and one in four men over the age of 50 has low bone density and is at risk for bone fracture associated with osteoporosis. In the following interview, physical therapist Sherry Betts of Santa Cruz, California, describes the symptoms of osteoporosis, the differences between osteoporosis, osteopenia, and osteoarthritis, and she outlines how physical therapists can design an exercise routine to help patients build bone density and improve their balance to avoid damaging falls. She also discusses the risks associated with sit-ups and other backgrounding exercises associated with Pilates or yoga, and she provides tips for anyone of any age looking to prevent or manage osteoporosis. Sherry is the chair of APTA's Bone Health Special Interest Group and is a spokesperson for American Bone Health, but a reminder that her input here is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. Here's our interview with Sherry Betts. So let's start off with the basics. What is osteoporosis and who does it most commonly affect? Well, osteoporosis is a disease of bone where the bone becomes more porous and it's defined as a skeletal disorder characterized by compromised bone strength that predisposes the person to an increased risk of fracture. So the, the word actually osteo means bone and pore means a hole in the bone or a pore like the pore in your skin. So it means that, that it has an excessive number of pores in the bone, and then the connections between the bones or the bridges inside or between the bones become affected so that there's less bone actually mass in the body, and that will predispose the person to an increased risk of fracture. And so who does that most commonly affect? Well, we know that one out of every two women over age 50 have bone loss and are affected and are at increased risk of fracture, and one out of every four men are at increased risk of fracture, and that's one out of every four men over age 50. So what really are the symptoms of osteoporosis? How would someone typically discover that they have it? Generally, there are no symptoms of osteoporosis until a bone actually fractures as far as in the arm or the wrist or the hip. Those are some of the most common fracture sites. However, osteoporosis affects the spine and most of the time people will have an increase in a roundness of the upper back. They'll have height loss and they won't even necessarily know that they're having micro fractures in the bone that are causing the vertebrae to collapse or either form wedges which increase that roundness in the upper back. So it means that the front of the vertebrae will collapse and then the bone becomes shaped like a wedge instead of like a cylinder. And then the roundness in the upper back is happens like a cascade phenomenon so that one bone collapses and then the bone above or below collapses and then those additional bones above and below collapse so that the person can lose anywhere from four to eight inches of height before they even realize that they have osteoporosis. So in that rounding of the back, is that something where when you see it, it generally means osteoporosis, or could it be any number of things? Well, you know, we have asked that question for a long time as physical therapists. You know, does that roundness of, of the upper back really mean that someone has osteoporosis? 
And there was a wonderful study done by Simonovsky who looked at the forward head posture and then made a correlation between the forward head posture and an x-ray of the bones. So they noticed that if someone had more than a 6 or 7 centimeter forward head posture, meaning if you stand with your back all the way against a wall and you try to get your head, your middle back, in between your shoulder blades, and your sacrum or your pelvis to touch the wall, if all those three bones can touch the wall and your eyes can be looking straight ahead, then you have good posture. And if you cannot get your head to the wall with your eyes level, so that you, if you got your head to the wall and your eyes end up looking at the ceiling, then that indicates that you have a forward head posture. What they noticed was that people that had at least seven centimeters of that forward head away from the wall was highly predictive of a compression fracture in the upper back. So we know that if someone has a pretty big forward head posture, which means two and a half inches or so away from a wall, that they probably have osteoporosis. It's very likely that they have it. The other thing before we move forward with osteoporosis is what's the difference between osteopenia and osteoporosis? Good question. People get really confused between osteopenia, osteoporosis, and even osteoarthritis. Osteopenia just means low bone mass. It means there are not enough bone cells in the bones. And we generally think of that as mildly reduced bone mass, and it's about 10 to 20% bone loss. And we understand that this represents the onset of osteoporosis. When someone has about 10 to 20% bone loss, we can correlate that to a T-score, which people get when they get their bone density tested. And we see that someone may have like a minus 1 or a minus 1.5 T-score, which means that they have a little bit of bone loss in relation to where they should be at that age, and this indicates that they have a mild amount of bone loss. I always think of this being a great time to identify bone loss because then the person can do exercise, they can make sure they're taking the right supplements, they can modify their diet, they can practice healthy strategies like stress reduction and just sort of do some what I call lifestyle management instead of go right on to a medication for osteoporosis. So it's a great time to really start the prevention of further bone loss. So at the point that you have osteoporosis, is it a management thing where you're just trying to keep additional bone loss or is it curable? Can you reduce the amount of osteoporosis that you have? I have seen many people go through the programs that I offer. We have group exercise classes and we have management classes where we make suggestions for lifestyle changes that they can make. We look at posture, we look at balance, and we help people make those kinds of improvements and changes in their life without necessarily going on medication. There are a lot of people who find out they have osteoporosis that are recommended to go on medication, and they just don't want to, and they understand the risks. They've had a friend who had some issues with the medication, and they're afraid about it. So what they choose to do is possibly go on a one-year really dedicated program to sort of clean up their daily living habits and incorporate more exercise and obviously healthy eating habits as well. And then we've seen a lot of people make some changes and increase their bone density according to the bone bone densitometry testing and T-scores. And I've seen people gain as much as 6%. Some have, you know, been very odd in surprising results. I've seen someone gain 15%. They were a bit younger. They were not elderly or over 65, and I've seen some gain even 8%. But on the average, we see people go from around 5 to 6%. When the normal bone loss for a person after age 50 is about a half a percent per year, that's how much you should lose over each year as you age. 
and then when someone goes through menopause and all of the years around menopause, they're going to lose a lot more than that. They can lose up to 20 to 25% of their bone density during menopause, which is normal. So it sounds like you can effectively withhold or sort of somewhat reverse the effect. I'm assuming, though, to go back to our previous example, that if you come in with hunched shoulders, that seven inches of rounding of the shoulders, you're probably not going to ever stand up completely straight, or is that not correct? Probably not. If someone has lost seven inches of height, six, seven inches of height, they're not going to gain that all back. In one session, I can see somebody change from maybe, say, five foot six inches to five foot seven inches. So I've seen up to an inch in height. Now, they're not growing and you're not increasing any bone at that point. You're just straightening out the spine by improving their posture and working on exercises that increase thoracic extension or, or straightening of that curvature in the upper back. Is that posture just for the sake of posture, or is that related all to the gaining of bone density and essentially preventing and fighting against additional onset of osteoporosis? Yeah, that's another good question that keeps me awake at night um, and other physical therapists as well. Sanaki of the Mayo Clinic had an idea that osteoporosis could be helped by increasing thoracic extension and increasing back extensor strength or back muscle strength, and she actually saw that when people did back extension exercises, they reduced their risk of fracture. So this has been something that has been very important in adding two exercise programs for osteoporosis and helping to reduce the thoracic kyphosis and prevent that forward rounding of the back and that forward curvature of the back in all of our exercise programs because she's one of the few that have seen those changes in posture and reduction in fracture risk with the exercise of the upper back. And so just to make sure I understand, is the upright posture helping against the side effects of osteoporosis or is it actually helping with bone density itself? Well, no one's really tested that necessarily. It's always in with other things. So no one's actually looked at isolating the back extension exercises to see if they actually improve bone density. But what they have looked at is fracture risk. For example, there was a Hallmark study that was done in 1984 by Dr. Sanaki, and she divided a group of 59 postmenopausal women into four groups, and she had group one do only curl-up exercises. She had group two only do back extension exercises lying on their stomach with a pillow under their belly and their pelvis and their ribs to protect the ribs and do back extension. And then the third group did both of those exercises. They, they they did the curl up or like a sit up and the back extension and the fourth group did no exercise and really interesting results. The first group that did just the sit ups or the curl ups, they saw that 89% of the women in that group had an additional fracture. In the second group that did only the back extension exercises, they saw that 16% of the women in that group had additional fractures. And in the third group, they saw that 53% of the women in the group that did both exercises had additional fractures. And in the fourth group that did no exercise, they saw that 67% of the people in that group had additional fractures. So what that tells us is two things mainly. One is that doing those curl-up exercises is going to really increase your fracture risk because 89% of the women in that group had additional fractures after doing just the curl-up exercise. And if we do back extension exercises, we're really going to reduce our risk for fracture down to all, all the way down to 16%. The other thing that people don't think about in this study is that if you do no exercise, that's actually worse than doing the wrong exercise plus the right exercise. So if you do some form of exercise that involves back extension and flexion and probably more varied 
types of exercise. That's better than doing no exercise at all. You'll actually reduce your risk of fracture if you do some form of exercise. The problem is if people do Pilates or yoga or rounding type exercise programs, they may increase their risk for fracture if they only did the rounding type exercises that put the back in a compressive position and could put those vertebral bodies at risk of fracture. In a basic sense, what goes into the management of osteoporosis, not just from an exercise standpoint, although maybe that's a good place to start, but also the lifestyle changes that you talked about, maybe dietary, whatever else would be? Well, the first thing I look at that people can change right away is posture and awareness. They need the awareness of good posture, which is going to help them prevent fractures. So if they are aware of their posture as they're doing their activities of daily living, getting up up and down out of a chair, getting up and down out of bed, off of a toilet, lifting even the dog dish, lifting a pet, a grandchild, any kind of object, gardening, you think of all kinds of kitchen activities, if they can keep that spine a little more extended and prevent that roundness at their waistline or at their mid-back when they bend forward, if they can bend forward at the hip joint, it's going to do two things. One, it's going to prevent that compression. And two, it's going to strengthen the muscles of the back and also the hip. Because the hip, we haven't talked about yet, but the hip is going to be very important for, for keeping strong and prevention of fracture because a hip fracture is very detrimental to someone's overall livelihood. Then I would certainly counsel them to think about getting the right nutrients in. They're going to need the right minerals, calcium, magnesium, and all of those trace minerals that are going to be important for building healthy bones. You want to think about your bones as a, a storehouse for your minerals. So if you're increasing your exercise program, which many people are doing when they come to us, they need to think about making sure that they have enough calcium and magnesium and those minerals available in their bloodstream because muscles need calcium to contract and magnesium to relax. So if you're increasing the demand of your musculature for calcium, you're going to have to provide more calcium so that your body doesn't go to your bones to pull calcium from your bones. I mean, that's a very basic way of understanding that you need to make sure there's enough calcium floating around so that you don't pull calcium from your bones. So those are the two main things, fracture prevention by awareness of posture and spinal alignment, and also fracture prevention by doing balance exercises. I mean, that can happen right away. People can start to practice their balance. And then nutrition. So let's talk about those balance exercises and what that means, what's safe to do at home, what somebody, especially maybe if they're older, might want to see a physical therapist to see what they're capable of doing, what's safe for them to do. Right. So always want to think about having something to hold on to when you practice your balance. So I like standing in a corner. You know, if someone is alone doing a home exercise program, they're going to need to be very careful with what they do. So I will often teach people to stand in a corner so that they have, a, you know, a wall and then maybe have a chair in the corner. So they're, they're kind of hemmed in in all three sides. They can also stand next to a chair as well. But they want to make sure that chair is sturdy so they start to tip over, they can hold on to it and it will stabilize them. So a countertop is often a good place to do it too. So standing with feet together first and once you get your environment all sorted out um, that it's safe, then standing with the feet together is one of the first things I tell people because if you're at home right now listening to this podcast, try standing up, putting your feet together and just see how it changes your posture. Because just doing that will change your postural alignment a little bit. If you stand with your feet apart and you try to tilt your pelvis forward and backward, 
you're going to have a lot more ability to slump and move your pelvis into a, an arched or a curled position where you just kind of hang onto your ligaments. And if you put your feet together and try that same action with the pelvis, a pelvic tuck or arch and lifting the tailbone and lifting the pubic bone alternately, you're not going to have as much mobility there. So it's going to make you stand a little bit more upright just to be with your feet together. So I like to have people practice standing with their feet together at a grocery store while they're standing in line or any time they can think of it. Then progressing from there, you can narrow that base of support by standing the feet together and then go onto one foot and just touch the surface that you're using as a support, whether it's a wall or a chair, and just put one finger touch stand on one leg, and then lift the hand. And then you count, and you see if you can build up to holding for one minute. What I love about standing on one leg is that it helps to strengthen the muscles of the leg. It may even help to build bone density in the hip. And then it challenges your proprioceptive system, which is the brain's feedback system for where your body is in space. So you're actually training your brain-body connection for those balance receptors that are in your feet. So you can practice that. I like practicing in bare feet, but certainly if people wear orthotics or need support, supportive shoes, they can wear their shoes to do it. But that's my favorite balance activity to do is just practice standing on one leg. We can certainly move on from there. A quick break to encourage you to move. Physical activity is associated with a reduced risk of chronic disease, not to mention improved bone health, cognitive function, weight control, and overall quality of life. Simply put, more movement is the gateway to better health. Need some help to get going? Physical therapists are movement experts who use exercise, hands-on care, and patient education to help you meet your goals. You can contact a PT directly for an evaluation. Learn more and find a physical therapist near you at choosept.com. So we have balance. Uh, we've talked about diet and other lifestyle changes. Other exercises that would build bone density, you mentioned before, curl-up exercises, by which I assume you mean things that are similar to sit-ups, but if not, mm -hmm. correct me if I'm wrong. And then what other exercises are safe versus those that might be found in Pilates, for example, like you mentioned, that might actually increase the risk of fracture? Certainly the curl-up exercise should be avoided. And many people say, well, how am I going to strengthen my abdominals without doing a curl-up? Well, if you think of the curl-up as a rounding of the upper back, it's actually what you don't want to do. You don't want to encourage that kind of strength or that kind of alignment as you're, as you're doing your exercises. So if you lay on your back, and if you do have a forward head posture, you can put a pillow under your head. So instead of using your head as the lever to challenge your abdominals, you're going to use your legs as the lever. So you just lay down with your head, your mid-back, and your sacrum or your pelvis supported on the floor or on a bed, and then lift one leg at a time, and you try to hold your pelvis steady and keep your abdominal wall working so that you're stabilizing your pelvis and your low back, and then you think of a pool of water under your feet, and you dip your toe into that pool of water while you try to keep your pelvis still. We like to think of moving the hip joint without moving the spine and pelvis, or sometimes I say, we're going to have the dog wag the tail instead of the tail wag the dog, so as your legs move, your spine doesn't rock up and down. So keeping your spine very still as you do that is quite a challenging exercise for the lower abdominals and a wonderful exercise for also stabilizing the back. So I love that for strengthening the abdominals. And then it's also a good one for aligning your posture, eventually progressing to being able to put your head flat on the floor without using the pillow. So just laying on your back is a wonderful way to stretch out your spine, decompress the spine, and improve your posture. 
So I like that for the abdominals as a replacement for the crunch. I want to stop the world from doing the crunches, which does exactly what it says it does. It crunches the vertebrae. Then you can lay on your stomach, put a pillow under your belly, and lift your upper back up off of the ground and do that 10 times or so, progressing with the height that you lift your body. And I love also hip extension exercises where you lay on your stomach and lift one leg with the knee straight. That really helps to strengthen the hip muscles, but it also stretches the front of the hip or the hip flexor muscles because as we age, sometimes we round forward in the upper back and we also bend forward at the hip. And then we can't walk with long strides. So doing that type of exercise that increases mobility in the hip. Then in standing, I love to see people do just sit to stand or squats, which are just sit down and stand back up without using your hands. Do that 10 times a day. And then standing on one leg and doing exercises that challenge your balance. So you would progress from feet together to standing on one leg to maybe standing on one leg and bending your knee, the standing leg knee, and that will help to strengthen your knee and your hip. And then progressing to maybe a lunge done very, very carefully so you don't hurt your knees with a long stride, stepping forward first, and then just doing a little heel raise, eventually progressing to bending both knees just a quarter of the way down, progressing to halfway, progressing to three-quarters of the way with a good alignment of the spine where your spine stays vertical. I want to ask about standing on one leg. You mentioned earlier about when your feet are apart, you basically have the ability to sort of slouch or lean to one side. If I'm doing a standing on one leg exercise for balance, is there a wrong way to do that? In other words, should I be striving to sort of have my posture be erect, or as long as I'm not falling over on one leg, am I helping myself? That's a good question. I like to have people stand and look at themselves in a mirror when we first work together, but if you're not working with a therapist or a teacher, then standing in front of a mirror and really making sure that your foot is in the right alignment. That's your foundation. You wouldn't build a house from the roof down. You build it from the foundation up. So you want your foot to be like a tripod on the mat so that you have your big toe joint, your little toe joint, and your heel all in contact equally on the mat or the floor. And so it's making like a little tripod. You want to really avoid collapsing in the arch of the foot. So if you have too much weight to the inside of the foot, that's going to be a problem for your knee if you're weight-bearing on your knee. So you want to make sure you have what I I usually say 60% of the weight on the outside of the foot and 40% to the inside, making sure that your big toe joint is still firmly connected to the floor. And then avoid locking the knee. So you want it, I call it softly straight. So it's not really bent, but it's not also locked because that's going to increase compression at your knee joint. So softly straight. And then look to see if your pelvis is level. So if you put your hands on your hips or your waistline or you're on the shelf of the pelvis, look to see if those bones are level. And then something you can think about is lifting the sides of your rib cage off your pelvis so that we don't lift just in the front of the ribs. You lift the rib cage up in the front and then kind of arches your back. It's sort of what your mother told you to do. You know, stand up straight, hold your shoulders back, but you don't want to arch because that's going to increase compression in your back. So you want to lift the whole rib cage up off of the pelvis in the back, the sides, and the front so you're increasing the distance between your your rib cage and your pelvis or making your waistline longer. That's one of the best ways to pull in the abdominals is to lift your ribs off your pelvis to avoid the slump. And then you think of aligning your shoulders over your ears So you have ear, shoulder, hip, knee, and ankle all in one line. So you'd have to look to the side to see that. So when you're aligning your body, think of going from the floor up 
and then organizing everything as if you're stacking up blocks. All the things you just described are things that if somebody went in and saw a physical therapist, obviously someone could watch and help them make sure they're in the right position, make sure they're safe, make sure they're actually physically doing the things that they think they're doing, because often that's the challenge. You think you're lifting your hips, but you're not, that sort of thing. What else, though, if somebody is wanting to get help for osteoporosis and especially wanting to avoid the medication and, and see a physical therapist, what else would they expect a physical therapist to help them with in preventing osteoporosis or the further development? Well, they would certainly help them with alignment during the activities of daily living. So a physical therapist might say, I'm going to have you lift this object off the floor. Pick up your purse off the floor and let me see how you do it. And so they would look at the ankle alignment, the knee alignment, the hip alignment, the spine alignment, and your shoulder organization as you lift the object off of the floor. And if you're doing it in a way that might put you at more risk for fracture, they might give you some suggestions or some cues that would help you be able to know if you're in the right alignment. One thing I love to do is to put a stick on someone's back, and you can do this with your broomstick at home. You take the broom off the handle or not and put it against your head, your mid-back, and your sacrum, and you keep those three points of contact against your back as you lift something off the floor. And that might be, you know, a highly detailed way to do it, but it certainly gives you the feedback to know if you're doing it correctly because that's what's important is that, yes, you understand the concepts mentally, but can your body actually do it? And that's part of the body awareness. A physical therapist might measure the distance between your ribs and pelvis to see how much space there is there. And if you're slumping, you might actually be smashing the ribs down into the pelvis. If you're actually standing in good posture, you might be able to lift so much that you can get two or three fingers in between your ribs and pelvis at the outside of your waist, right in line with your armpit. They also might measure your shoulder reach overhead. They might look at you reaching off balance, you know, like if you have to reach way far forward to lift an object or open a door and there's maybe something in the way and you want to reach forward, they'll look at how far you can reach off of your base of support. They'll do all kinds of tests to see maybe you have a balance problem that could lead to additional fractures. So if your equilibrium is off, they know how to test your vestibular system to see if there's something going on in the vestibular system that could contribute to problems with fractures that maybe you need treatment for. So they could let you know if you're experiencing something out of the normal that you might need additional medical intervention. So you've talked about earlier the danger of curl-up type exercises and things like that. Are there any other misconceptions maybe about the management of osteoporosis in terms of how people should care for themselves or what they should be doing to try to live live a healthier life if they know they have osteoporosis or they think they might be prone to it? Well, I look at magazine articles all the time with pictures of beautiful older women holding a pair of pink dumbbells that says, build your bones. And the pink dumbbells weigh maybe two pounds. And if you if you pick up most women's purses, they probably weigh twice as much as that, four or five pounds. I see people carrying around these crazy, you know, huge bags. And the bags weigh way more than the pink dumbbells. And a pink dumbbell exercise of two pounds is not going to do anything for building bone in the areas where people need bone density. People need bone density in the neck of the femur, which is the part of the femur that makes a turn inward toward the socket, and it's most often the area that's fractured with falls. A sideways fall right onto the hip will increase the fracture risk up to 30 times. The hip is just not designed to bear weight on the side like that. So if someone falls down onto their side on a hard surface, 
they are highly likely to have a hip fracture. If they fall backward or forward, the risk may be about five times greater than if they could get their hands out and stop, you know, the fall. So doing dumbbell exercises and weight training and weight strength training and all that for the upper body is maybe nice for the upper body, but the risk is for the hip, the spine, and often the ribs or the wrist. But people often focus on that upper body issue because they want to prevent wrist fractures. But wrist fractures actually occur from falling. You don't get a wrist fracture from taking the milk out of the refrigerator. You get a wrist fracture from falling onto outstretched hands, which is due to poor balance. So working on balance is actually going to prevent wrist fractures indirectly. It's going to prevent hip fractures because you're working on your, you know, prevention of falls. But you're also building muscle strength by working on balance. Because stand on one leg for one minute, your legs will be very tired. Stand on one leg with a bent knee for one minute, you'll certainly be really tired. Then focusing on the back extension exercises and postural correction to strengthen the muscles of your upper back will also strengthen the bones of your spine. Because muscle strengthening actually does increase bone density as well. So if you're strengthening muscles, you're likely strengthening bone as well because they respond similarly. One thing I would add, though, is about muscle strengthening and bone strengthening is that the exercise needs to be of a high enough intensity to bring on fatigue in the muscles within 10 repetitions. So if you're able to do 20 repetitions, 30 repetitions of something, that's more of an endurance activity. It's not going to affect the bones and the muscles quite as much for strengthening. It's like walking, swimming, cycling. Those aren't great exercises for building bone because they're more low-intensity endurance activities. So you want to be doing strength training that's going to help you build bone in the areas where you really need it. We don't lose bone density in the upper body at the rate that we lose bone density in the lower body. Does strength training necessarily mean weight training? No. No. You can use body weight for strength training. You can use springs, as in Pilates, for strength training. It's basically building strength with some type of overload. It means that you're doing something beyond the regular activities of daily living that you do. So if you did sit to stand 10 times and you could barely do that 10th one, you don't have a weight in your hand. You don't have any resistive therabands or anything to add resistance in your hand, but you're fatigued within 10 repetitions and you can barely do that 10th one. You're doing strength training. Pilates uses body and gravity for strength training as well. Tai Chi may be doing some form of strength training with the activities that they do in standing. It's not so prevalent in Tai Chi because it's more of a, a one-hour class in standing, but they do some deep knee bending that may help to stimulate the muscles of the legs to build bone in the, the lower body. But you can use resistance from bands or straps or balls or weight or springs or just gravity. What's the age at which somebody really needs to start thinking about those things? Because I'm assuming that if you wait too long to start working on your balance, you wait until you're starting to fall, I assume you want somebody before that. So what's the age typically where balance gets to a point or posture begins to recede to where someone really needs to be active about it? One of my colleagues said once that I love this expression. She said that osteoporosis is a pediatric condition with geriatric manifestations. So it really happens in childhood. Tongue-in-cheek, it is something that you can blame your mother for. <laughs> it's really about what you did as a child because you build about 90% of your bone density by the time you're 20 years old. You only build another 10% all the way up to age 35. 35 is the peak. So you cannot build more bone than you had at age 35. 
However, what happens if somebody's 55, they don't really know what their peak was because they didn't get their bone density checked at age 35. So if they didn't get their bone density checked, then they have to maybe assume that they had a little bit more than they do at age 55. And so when they're trying to increase their bone density, they may hit a plateau. And we can never know what that was unless we know what they were at their peak. If somebody's 65 years old, our focus is not on building bone. Our focus is on fracture prevention. When I first started working with osteoporosis, I used to disappoint my patients because at the end of that year, I would say, okay, you've been doing all this stuff. Let's get your bone density checked and see what it is. And so we were all building ourselves up for this disappointing result, like they didn't build any or they built 1%, which is actually good, or they lost a little. You know, and again, they're supposed to lose half a percent per year. And if they built any at all or didn't lose any at all, that was actually really good. So we want to focus more on building bone when someone's in their 30s, and we want to focus more on prevention of fracture or prevention of falls when someone's over 65. And then I think that posture really starts really young, you know, so postural changes. Kids go to school, they carry a backpack, they sit in a chair all day long, they're not doing as much physical exercise because they're taking that out of the school system because of costs. And, you know, posture really starts early. I see young teenagers in horrible posture. But I've also seen people in their 50s really change their posture by doing a focused exercise program. I hope that answers your question. It's a hard, it's a hard question to really pinpoint when should someone start, basically now, you know, however old you are. Start now with the prevention. Just as we've been having this conversation, I found myself instinctively trying to sit up straight. <laughs> Let me share a study with you that I think that might help older adults who may feel depressed about building strength. One woman was a physical therapist in a nursing home, and she wanted to see how well people did with strength training. And she trained several clients or patients in their 90s to see how much strength could they build in a certain time frame. Those people had 90% increase in their strength over the time period that she trained them, which was less than a year. So it's amazing how older adults can still build strength. It's all relative. It's it's wherever you start. We know that if someone's very sedentary and they start an exercise program, they build more bone than someone that's already very active. If you're sedentary and you do anything, if you get started doing even a walking program, you're probably going to build some bone density. And if we keep doing the same exercise all the time, Every year, well, I've been doing yoga for 20 years. I've been doing Pilates for 20 years. Or I've been doing this body pump class for 10 years. Well, maybe you should think about changing it because variety and sort of surprising the bones is actually quite effective for building bone density. So you might consider changing your exercise program, say, every year on your New Year's resolutions. Go, what, what new exercise class will I take this year? As long as you exercise precaution and understand the guidelines for keeping your bones safe from fracture. If someone suspects, if they know they have osteoporosis or they suspect they might be at risk or they're just concerned, what should they do right now today? Even if they don't go to the doctor, even if they don't want to seek medical attention to find out if they really have it, if they can start thinking about how they use their body, sitting in a chair properly, even now as you're listening to this podcast, look at how you're sitting. Are you putting your body in the position that you really want to be in? And what position do you really want to, to, to achieve? Because it's really what we do 80% of the time that matters most in life. And we can probably get by with slumping 20% of the time. We can probably get by with eating sugar and junk food 20% of the time. 
But if we really focus on 80% of our day, are we sitting properly in the chair? So right now, as you're sitting there, you can slide your hips all the way back in the chair, feeling your pelvis against the back of the surface of the chair, and then molding your spine to the chair, wrapping your shoulders around and back. That's going to bring your posture back quite a bit so that if you are sitting with the supportive surface of the chair, the chair should actually give you support in the right position if you use it correctly. Because it's not about the chair, it's about you and how you sit in the chair. So even if you come away from the back of the chair and you balance yourself on your pelvis as you're sitting here, feel your back muscles, arch and curl your pelvis a little bit, see the position of the most relaxed state of your back muscles. So if you can get your back muscles to soften, you're not supposed to hold yourself up with the back muscles that you can feel. You're supposed to hold yourself up from your core muscles that are deep inside, the abdominals and the deep back muscles. Then you balance your shoulders over your pelvis, keeping your back muscles relaxed. And think of even the throat being like the abdominals of your cervical spine or your your neck vertebrae. Pulling the throat back will pull the ears back over the shoulders. Instead of just jamming your head back and dropping your chin, keep the throat open as well, like you're putting on an Elizabethan collar. And then you balance your head over your body. Posture should be work. Not a huge amount of work, but a little bit of work so that if you held yourself in this upright position for a long period of time, you would be tired and you would want to slump or you want to sit back. So if you sit back, then sit back in the appropriate position and keep it, keep the back muscles relaxed and softened but not slumped. But if you slump, you're going to feel a tension in the back muscles that's greater than if you're in the right position. So your muscles will often tell you if in the right position. You can take that same concept of standing instead of just slumping and hanging on your joints and compressing your joints. If you stay lifted throughout the day and support those joints, it's going to help you in your the joints and how they feel, preventing degeneration and compression and shear of the cartilage and the joint structures. The discs in the spine will be healthier if you keep the weight off of them as much as you can. And then keeping that balance on your feet will also help strengthen the muscles of your feet because we are supposed to have use of those muscles underneath the feet and work underneath the feet to hold ourselves up. So I think starting right away with better posture and get somebody to work with you on your postural alignment if you're having a hard time with it is one of the best things you can do because it is how you have to live all day long. I always tell everybody that your home is inside. It's in you. It's not the outside environment where you live. It's actually you live in your body. So I want you to be as comfortable and as healthy inside your body as you are inside your home. So that would be my my two cents. Sherry Betts with my best posture sitting up on my chair. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Move Forward Radio. Insight from our guests is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Or find previous episodes at ChoosePT.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Find a physical therapist near you at ChoosePT.com. ChoosePT.com.